Well, it's a good evening to be sitting back with your uh, cup of coffee and maybe a blanket uh, over your knees. And I trust your Bible on your lap. Uh, continuing to look into the book of Romans <clears throat> and tonight continuing with chapter 12 and uh, considering the wisdom given us uh, by Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, on some practical Christian living. And so bow your heads with me, let's pray together and uh, tackle this uh, passage uh, before us. Lord, we thank you for this evening. Thank you that we have, many of us, the privilege of uh, shelter and warm homes and uh, food that we've eaten. We want to be mindful of those who are in less uh, fortunate positions. And Lord, not only in word, but also in deed. And may we as a church even be uh, growing in our sensitivity towards those uh, who struggle and have many difficulties. And so we do pray for tonight. Again, as we turn to your word, uh, pray that you would guide us and lead us. And Lord, may we again just ask this evening that we not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, I'm going to read from chapter 12 uh, of Romans and from verse 14 down to verse 21. So follow with me in your Bible. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. I think I need to say right at the outset, there's so much in that passage that is so upside down uh, concerning uh, the way that uh, normally or we people would normally behave. And so what is it that uh, God is saying to us uh, in this particular passage? I want us to think uh, a little tonight about uh, so much of the bloodshed that uh, we see, and, and I suppose if we look back over the decades, much bloodshed uh, has been evident and, and present in our South African context uh, between peoples, between factions. And uh, I want us to uh, think about the people involved. And one such example, some of you will remember some years ago now, uh, was the Marikana crisis at, at one of the Lonman mines. I want us to think about the different people involved. Think of those, I guess there must have been management, mine management, who were uh, in the area. There were those who were workers and protesting. There were others who were policemen and policewomen who were trying to control uh, the crowds. And, and I'm guessing uh, there must have been some union representatives. And, 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 and so in my mind, I, I, I see that there were all sorts of people, different professions, different responsibilities, different issues. 
Now, the thought that I'm wanting us to begin with tonight is amongst those different groups of people, there may have been some believers. So there may be a believer, uh, a policeman may have been a believer. Uh, On the other hand, somebody in management may have been a believer. Uh, Maybe some of the striking workers were believers. And so I've wondered about those people in those different roles and bringing it into this passage, into the particular context of Romans, and saying, now thinking of them as worshippers of God. So not separating out what happened on that day, not separating out what happens in these terrible incidents where there is conflict and bloodshed and, 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 and oftentimes people are hurt and, and, and some are even killed. And so the question is, what, what does it practically mean to someone who is present at that kind of event? What does it mean to present your bodies as a living sacrifice? How does worship unfold in that particular context? When the workforce is defiantly digging their heels in, refusing to work, uh, threatening uh, the future of the business operation, how does a mine manager, how should a mine manager respond? And then to go to the other end of the, the spectrum, the other side of the equation, What does it mean to actively live a life worthy of the gospel, as as indicated to us in Philippians 1.27, when when you are a worker and and wages are pitiful, or or you may even be a worker that is being exploited or or victimized, uh, uh, being tempted to be divisive or uh, take the law into your own hands. And so my very first point tonight I want us to think a little about presenting your body as a living sacrifice on Monday. It's no use that we Christians only speak about worship as it relates to a single hour or hour and a half on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. That's important. Gathering together, not forsaking the gathering together of the saints. But when we look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and all that unfolds thereafter, we see there's a lot more to a life of worship than just being together, uh, expressing our love and adoration for God with like-minded people, uh, singing songs and and digesting the Word of God and and being built up in our faith and, 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 and really focused in our worship uh, to God. What happens on Monday? Uh, Does that worship extend? Is there something that should be taking place for those of us who are Christians, and that which takes place, should it be different? Should we be living different? Should we be responding differently to others? What (coughs) What does a living sacrifice look like Monday to Friday? Uh, at work, in the difficult circumstances that there may be. And so our broken, we live in a broken world, no doubt, and here in South Africa, our world is divided, uh, factions all over the place. We, we, we need to be thinking, we, we need to be saying, well, how does this kind of scripture apply? 
How can we be those who are presenting our bodies as living sacrifices in the face of brokenness, in the face of tension and racism and injustice and persecution and evil? And it's not just out there. It can be closer to home. It can can be in the midst of a, a difficult family context where relationships are dysfunctional. Uh, it it could also be uh, amongst many people in our country as we see foreign nationals often suffering as a result of victimization. Uh, it may be standing up for the truth in the midst of immorality and, and corruption. And so... Question Is it just a matter of gritting your teeth, faithfully grinding on, and doing your duty as a Christian? Now, I want to say tonight, as I understand this passage and what we've been taught so far in this passage, it can't be that we, as living sacrifices, are only duty bound. There's something more. We are not those who just tick the box and and dutifully do what we believe we're supposed to do or or, or what we're expected to do. Being a living sacrifice has to do with inward desires, inward impulses and inclinations. And so to make a statement uh, really which ought to be true of us Christians, unless you and I are gripped with a joyful impulse of gospel grace from the inside. That's what I want to speak again about tonight, as I did last week. So, so, so our actions, that which we do, is not just driven by an external pressure uh, because we feel uh, duty-bound, we feel we must do the right thing. That's, that's morality, and, and there's a place for morality. But last week I made the point in the context of this particular passage that serving and working in the church uh, is not just about ticking the box. It's not just that which is external. There's something inside of us. And so this principle of us uh, responding in a certain way in the context of a hostile world, and we we, we do find ourselves more and more as Christians uh, on on the receiving end of hostility and and, hostility. persecution more and more, this passage shows us it's not mere duty. Uh, There are many books. I looked at the bookshop again this morning. I was up at the bookshop getting some books and uh, so many books on uh, seven steps to this or six steps to that, and, and it's about a good marriage, or it could be about uh, corruption, or it could be about persecution. But and, and there's value again in that kind of book, but, but, but the advice is external. The book of Romans, and as we moved on as a living sacrifice, is concerned about the wellness of the heart, the internal workings and, 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 and impulses that come from within. I want to uh, put a quote, Jamie, just if she could put a quote up on the screen. And I just want to read through this quote very slowly. This is a quote by C.S. Lewis. Just think about what he says here. A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. 
he'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, that is our own loves and tastes and habits, can do the journey on their own. Now, I think Lewis has got a point that we need to be thinking about there. Uh, more than duty, uh, something that we want to do, that which affects or comes from the right kind of desires that we have as Christians. He continues and he, he makes a comment about uh, William Tyndale. And remember that William Tyndale was persecuted. Uh, and and uh, let me just read the quote again. It says, Morality or duty never yet made a man happy in himself or dear to others. It is shocking, but it is undeniable. And I want to try and apply that. Um, uh, Listen to this next quote. We do not wish either to be or to live among people who are clean or honest or kind as a matter of duty. We want to be and associate with people who like being clean and honest and kind. Isn't that true? Going through the motions, I think, would be a, a simple way of putting it. Is, is that what we do as Christians, or is there something more? We don't just go through the motions. There's, there's intention, there's feeling. Even in the context of a marriage, there can be nothing worse than a husband or a wife only doing things uh, because of uh, feeling that they're duty-bound. Uh, no inclination of, of love from the heart. Uh, again, a quote here, the mere suspicion that what seemed an act of spontaneous friendliness or generosity was really done as a duty, and it subtly poisons it. So what you think is a good thing, when you discover that it was just something done out of duty, then it becomes meaningless. In fact, it becomes negative. And in, in, in the words of C.S. Lewis, it's, it's, it's more like poison uh, rather than something helpful. And so as we come to this particular passage, we need again to see that this is not about us merely dutifully obeying a list of commands. But being a living sacrifice is, is about having a heart, as I said last week, a heart of sincere love. And it's, it's, it's that which is inside that spills out into these different aspects of, of living, even in a hostile environment, in a hostile world. So it's not about fulfilling prescribed lists. It's about godly longings. It's, it's about holy desires. It's not about burdensome duty. I was thinking about an illustration, and I thought, well, I could maybe illustrate that by thinking of a motor vehicle. Maybe the, the men will understand this. Uh, ladies, be patient with us. If you have a car and you've got petrol in the engine, it's easy to turn the key and start the engine and drive the car. You can drive up a hill, down a hill, and you can do 20, 30. In fact, you can drive down to Durban. But if there's no petrol in the car, and you've got to get out and push the car, that becomes burdensome. That becomes a duty. That's hard work. That's unpleasant. It's far better to have petrol in the tank. And, and, and that's, that's the kind of sense of, of what we need to understand as living sacrifices. As, as those who have the Spirit of God, 
Those who have inward changing, a new heart, and continual changing that takes place on the inside, it's like having petrol in the tank. It, it gets us going, and it's not burdensome. It's something we want to do. You see, it's only when you and I have that genuine, tender heart of love that these exhortations, otherwise it's just a list of legalistic demands and it's burdensome and, oh, not another one and, and it's difficult and it's hard and we just want to walk away. And so my second uh, question tonight, or my second point is, what do living sacrifices in a hostile world look like? And I really want to say tonight, it's easy to speak theoretically about these things. But we really need to implement. This is the word of God. And, and are there exceptional circumstances where they don't apply? I don't think so. It, it must apply. It must apply in all circumstances. Now, uh, the one way one could tackle these particular uh, phrases or, or commands is one by one. But I've not done that. I've tried to group them together. And uh, similar exhortations to bring some focus and, and some um, application. Now, it was very interesting, again, another illustration where we see the, the way that we people operate. And it's an, ex, an example that we saw again just a few weeks ago with a, weeks ago with a conflict uh, in Israel and Palestine. Um, Israel and Palestine demonstrated the natural reaction of people in the midst of hostility. One party launches a rocket, and then all that happens is the other party receiving the rocket returns the favor, and they send a rocket. And so the rockets keep uh, getting launched. The one does it, and the other one does it, and, 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 and so it goes. And that's what we people naturally do. We want revenge. We want to retaliate. We want uh, to react. Every action uh, requiring a, a reaction, a similar kind of reaction. And, and different examples. Uh, you shouted me and so I shouted you. Or you cheat me and I'm going to cheat you. Or you ignore my birthday and I'm going to ignore your birthday. I ignore your phone call. You ignore my phone call. You insult me. I insult you. That, that's the way people operate who have a hard heart. That's the way people operate who have not yet uh, experienced the, real the reality of the mercies of God. Heart replacement changes that. We South Africans need to hear this. We can't just call ourselves Christians and then not recognize the reality of what God calls us to in passages uh, like this. Harmful retaliation is normal. It's to be expected amongst hard-hearted people, but not so with those who identify with Romans chapter 12, who can reach back into the mercies of God and understand something of the grace of God, the undeserved grace of God given to us. And so three areas that I'm going to touch on over here. The first one I've called love's healing Responses And those of us who have been married in relationships, uh, we know that uh, there, there are different ways that you can uh, conduct yourself in the midst of, of uh, conflict or difference. A heated argument that, that escalates and, and, and doesn't find any resolution. 
or sometimes what should be just a bunch of flowers. I've seen that again and again. Uh, a bunch of flowers far more constructive than standing stubbornly unmoved with uh, rights and, and, and a logical argument. And, and, and so the apostle says in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This is contrary to what the natural man or natural woman would do. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Also verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. And it's not just in Romans. It's not that Paul lost the plot. We find this the approach of Jesus, the final words of Jesus on the cross, when he was being unjustly ridiculed, when he was being unjustly crucified. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I often in my preaching refer to the first martyr, Stephen. I find him uh, such a, an inspiration, uh, responding in the face of false accusations, gross mis misrepresentation, and you can look at this in Acts chapter 6, verse 11, secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They lied about Stephen. Stephen boldly, unashamedly addresses the conspirators with his sin. He faces them with his sin, but he doesn't, and he doesn't roll over like some sort of lame duck, and, but he stands up to truth and, and what is right. But he does so without malice, without bitterness. In fact, he takes the knock on his own chin. Acts chapter 7 verse 59 and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I think Stephen had a new heart. I think this guy was operating from something that was different inside to the people who were stoning them. If you look at church history, Repeatedly, not just once or twice, men and women, men and women of God, holy men of women of God, condemned to die at the stake for their faith. They faced injustice and persecution without kicking and screaming. Why is it different for us today? I don't think it should be. I don't think so. I know it's not popular. Lots of people don't like what I'm saying. Some have even left our church because I believe that the gospel is sufficient and changes us. All of these people down through the ages, courageous in their convictions, faithful to the Lord, refusing to retaliate, refusing to exercise or perpetrate revenge and bitterness and malice, they submitted to the harm done to them. Now that can be applied in the context of marriage. 
perhaps unkindness from a spouse or harshness or insensitivity. It can be also true in terms of societies where people are marginalized, and we still have that in South Africa. And even in the context of of Christian workers, should, should we as Christians be out throwing stones and turning cars over and burning tires? It seems to me that God has different ideas for living sacrifices. Christian husbands and wives and foreign nationals and Christian workers must not perpetuate the cycle of destructiveness. Otherwise, the cycle just continues. It just repeats again and again. But rather, we are called to end the cycle with love's healing responses. Those responses we read of, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. But secondly, love's unselfish actions. If we're going to be breaking cycles of destructiveness, and that's not going to be accomplished by retaliation, it, it, it also doesn't happen by just doing nothing. And, and, and the point I'm trying to make over here is that we can't just be passive. Uh, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. In other words, we could even say, well, bless them. You can bless them by praying for them. You can bless them by even giving them a gift. You can be nice to them, but, but you're not just hiding away. So being a living sacrifice leads to a closer connectedness and also an exercise of empathy with people. And you notice that in verse 15, coming close to people and, and, and rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And then he goes on to speak about harmony. And in music, we know, of course, when uh, everything is harmonizing and uh, in unison, I'm not quite sure of all the musical terminology, but with us people, when we're out of step with each other, when we're upstream or for upstream's sake or abrasive or selective or divisive or just plain awkward or self-opinionated, God says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I use the word uh, positive, good. Looking at verse 17, we, we, we can see that this uh, is the kind of thing we need to do. Living sacrifices on Monday to Friday are walking in pathways or should be walking in pathways of positive, good. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul goes on to illustrate that in verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I did think of the illustration I've just been reading uh, in the Old Testament, uh, 1 Samuel, and I'm now into 2 Samuel. But we see this kind of attitude with David in his response to Saul. Saul wants to kill him. Saul repeatedly chasing after him. He really wants to annihilate David. And uh, David has the opportunity to actually kill Saul. And uh, he's sleeping in a cave, but uh, instead he doesn't. He just cuts a corner of his robe. 
And then later on he confronts Saul. He says to him, see my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see there is no wrong or treason in my hands. David wasn't bitter against Saul. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. That's that's the sense of what this passage is, is saying. <coughs> and then I want to go a little bit further. And there is an important uh, underlying truth that, that we see in this passage. I've called it love's unwavering confidence. And I want to, I want to go, go, go back again to David. David is kind to Saul because he has a heart for God. We know that. And, and, and as well, he has a deep conviction about what God will do. In other words, he leaves Saul in the hands of God. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. I'm not going to do this. Lord, I'm leaving it to you. This is not my responsibility. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting or I'm entrusting this situation of injustice uh, to you. And so Paul says in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do we really believe nothing passes unnoticed by God? He's all knowing. Nothing hidden from God. He knows all things. Every evil motive, every evil thought, every evil deed, every action, every person is going to be accountable to God and will not escape. God is all knowing, He's all powerful, He's holy, God is just. Living sacrifices experience what I want to call love's unwavering confidence in God. This is not in my hands, God, but it's, I know it's in your hands. You will do what is right. God will meter our justice to all people. It's not too long ago we were looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, most of us like to focus on the early verses of Hebrews 11. But I think verses later on in the passage like verse 36 illustrate this kind of reaction. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They left it in God's hands. They left the perpetrators in God's hands. Believing, having the confidence, the conviction that justice will be served. Every sin will be punished by God. Every sin will be punished by God, either in hell or on the cross. And even our enemies, don't we pray that, that, that they would come to the place where their sin is dealt with, not in hell, but that they would come to faith and experience the blessing of forgiveness like we have experienced. And so in the Christian context, kangaroo courts are not required. There's no need to do what God will do. Instead, let us join those who are listed in Hebrews 11, who faced injustice, who faced cruelty, but in love's unwavering confidence. 
the folk you and I do face, have faced, and will face uh, injustice at one level or another. Let us hear the word of God and let us operate on the basis of nurturing a tender heart toward God that spills out in the way that we conduct ourselves as living sacrifices, not only Sunday, not only Sunday, it must be Monday and Tuesday and every day of the week, every day of the month. And why? Because we become those who demonstrate something of the grace and the mercy of God. Let's pray together. Lord, difficulties uh, we face. And it is so easy to nurture grudges. It's so easy to want to retaliate. And it's so easy for any one of us to want to see things even. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to receive your word, to be led by your word, to be changed by your word. Lord, submitting to your spirit and, and, and not doing these things out of duty. But Lord, because we want to do them, because you are at work within us, changing us to be more and more in the likeness of Jesus. I do pray for those who struggle, Lord, with bitterness. Uh, help them to know peace, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Pray for our church, that we would be united, that we won't allow division or conflict uh, to break up the congregation. Help us also, Lord, in the context of the workplace, day by day, to live at peace with all, as far as it is possible for us to do. And so be with us, Lord, and continue with us in this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a final comment. Uh, once again, we do have uh, a screen filled with questions, some good discussions on this particular topic. I think this could be uh, quite uh, uh, interesting. And so I want you to copy those questions now and take a, a shot, a snapshot on your phone. And if you are meeting in a group, I pray that you would have good fellowship and challenging each other in your walk of faith. God bless you. Be with you. Uh, we look forward to being together again. Amen.